Cleanse me, O Lord. Cleanse me. We need cleaned out, don't we? I tell you what, just walking through this old dirty world, we need cleaned up, everyone. We need cleaned up, you know? I mean, you get, you get, you get kind of stained just kind of walking through the world that we live in. I mean, you, you might not even do anything wrong that day, but just you just walking through it, and uh, you get it on you. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like sometimes, kind of like working in the old cow crib and everything. And so, uh, you didn't cause the mess, but you sure got it on you. And so, uh, uh, but we are in Exodus today, Exodus chapter number seventeen this morning. Exodus chapter number seventeen, and this message was uh, born out of uh, some messages I've been preaching on Sunday night, and that is on the life of Moses. And uh, we've seen how on the last Sunday night out of Exodus 17, how uh, we need to have some folks in the church that are staying up the hands of the man of God. And, uh, and, and if you missed out on that message, maybe you could go back. It was more of a personal message, one of the most personal messages I've preached in a long time. But maybe you could go back and listen to that sometime, Exodus 17. Uh, stay up the hands. But this is kind of born out of that because as I was studying it out, I thought, you know, this would be a, a great message, especially down here at the end. Totally separate message. As we're going to see today, uh, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Or you might say it like this, the title, the banner of the Lord. The banner of the Lord. Exodus 17. Exodus 17 is an interesting chapter. It's a transition chapter. It's moving away from the, um, the complaining and the, uh, the time that the children of Israel had spent in Egypt. It's moving away from that. And it's moving towards the law of God. It's moving towards Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and receiving uh, those Ten Commandments and all the rest of the commandments that are there. It's a transition chapter. And in this transition chapter, uh, the Israelites are faced with a formidable foe that they'll face for many years later called the Amalekites. And the children of Amalek have come down to fight them again. They've already fought them once before when they came out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they fought them not as good soldiers, but as cowards. They went behind them and killed their little ones and their old folks and the sick ones. And uh, that is truly what an Amalekite is. You say, what is an Amalekite? The Amalekite is a representation. It is a picture of the flesh. The flesh. And the flesh always comes to fight after you get out of Egypt. Egypt's a picture of the world. It's a picture of where you were before you got saved. And everybody that's not saved is still in Egypt. They're still in the world. They haven't been delivered yet from God, by God. Uh, they haven't gone through the Passover lamb, the blood, of the, the blood, the atonement there. They haven't gone through the blood. And he says, uh, he says, you put the blood over the post. And he says, and I will what? Pass over you. And if you don't have the blood of Jesus on you today, my friend, is that you can surely expect the judgment of God. Just as much and just as sure as the angel of God came down that day and destroyed the Egyptians' firstborns, so God himself will pour out his wrath upon all those that don't have the blood of Jesus Christ upon them as their only salvation. Let us never forget the blood. Let us always remember it is by the blood, all right? Life is in the blood, he says. There is no redemption except it be by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it just wasn't his death, amen? 
I mean, he shed every last drop of blood for our sinful sake. Every bit of it. All the way on the cross, even when they pierced his side there, what came out but blood mingled with water. Amen. He shed every bit for you and for me. So they had come out of that place and they were moving on to promised land. They hadn't known yet that they weren't going to get there for another 40 years. That's not part of the story yet. We're not there yet. But still, they were moving on. And I'll tell you, every time you come out, every time somebody comes out of the world, somebody that is unsaved and now they're saved, they always got another enemy coming after them. That's the old flesh. I mean, the old flesh, he just doesn't leave. I mean, the old man's been crucified in Christ, praise God for that, but sometime, but he just doesn't ever leave. He's like a dead corpse, it seems like, just kind of hanging around. And you know what the flesh always goes after? He always goes after your weak spots. He never goes after the spot where you're strong at. Never associates to your way. I mean, if you, were, if you were very strong in your punctuality or in your uh, moral character or in your integrity, I mean, the, devil, the, the flesh doesn't go after those kinds of things. It goes after where it knows it can get you. It can get you. It knows it. And it knows your weak spots. Do you know your weak spots? That's a good question to ask. Do you know your weak spots? Where are you weak at? Morally, maybe you're weak in that department. Maybe you're weak in your anger. Maybe you're weak in your patience. Maybe you're weak in your depression. Maybe you're weak in your joy. Maybe you're weak in uh, your faith. Uh, everybody's got a weak spot, okay? None of us are perfect. Amen? All right, are you following me here? Well, none of us are perfect here. And Amalekite, he comes after the children of Israel and he fights after them. And God does a miraculous thing in chapter number 17. And let's just read what God does here in chapter number 17 in verse number 10 to the end of the chapter. And so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat there on, and her, Aaron and her stayed up the hand, stayed up his hands, and the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady unto the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write for this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. That's our text. Jehovah Nisi. That means the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will, give, will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the Amalekites had come to fight. They had come to put these people to rest. But God wrought a major victory. God wrought a major victory. By the faith of his children and by the rod of God. The banner that they were walking under. They were walking under this banner, this rod of God. They were walking, they were marching, they were fighting under this banner. The Lord is our banner. We're trusting in Jesus. We're trusting in the Lord. The question I have for you today is simple. Is this, what banner... Are you flying today? 
What banner are you flying? Whose marching orders are you marching under? And I tell you today that I believe all of us that are saved, and if you're not saved, you need to raise up another banner. You need to get rid of some banners. You need to raise up the banner of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we are privileged in the Word of God to get an insight to who God is by one of His names. I don't know how many names there are. I tried to look that up. It is varied. Some think there are about 105 different names of God in the Word of God. Some think there's as many as 261. I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which we can get an insight to the Lord. And one of those ways is His names. One of those names that come up quite often is El Elyon, which is simply that He is the God Most High. Maybe you've heard this name, El Shaddai. It's in a famous song, I think it is, and that is the name of God. It is God Almighty. Psalm 91.1 is where you find that text. One of God's favorite names you find all throughout the Word of God is Adonai. Adonai, my Lord, Master. The other favorite name of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah, Yahweh, the personal name of God. I am that I am. He is the personal, self-existent eternal one. In your Bibles, it's translated as L-O-R-D, all caps. You'll find it there every single time like that. Maybe you've heard this name before, Jehovah Jireh. That's in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. 14, whenever Abraham declares he is the Lord that will provide. You've heard, maybe you've heard of this name, Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord is my healer, Psalm 103, verse 3. Maybe you are probably familiar with this word, Jehovah Shalom, that the Lord is my peace. The Lord is my peace. What about Jehovah Sabaoth? That means the Lord of hosts. He will fight for me. And then there is Jehovah Roy. The Lord is my shepherd, like in Psalm 23.1. That's just a small sampling, but in our text today, we have this name of God, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. Or as we might say it like this, the Lord is our flag. That's what a banner is. It's a flag. And and, in armies and in battles, they would fly flags to represent different uh, armies and different countries and different uh, platoons and and companies of of men in order that they might be able to distinguish who is who and uh, who's fighting who in a battle. But this particular banner that's being raised up in our scenario here today is what God told Moses to take, and that is the rod of God, the rod of God. He tells him to take the rod of God to the top of the hill and to hold it up there, and as long as he holds this banner up high, the children of Israel were winning. But when the banner went down, they were losing. God gave them the victory ultimately when two men of God came alongside Moses and held up his hands and the banner of God stayed up. When it was all said and done, he cries out and he says, the Lord is our banner. Moses was making this declaration. When it comes to fighting the Lord's battles, we will fly this one and only banner. The Lord is our banner. The Lord. And may I tell you today, our Lord And it could be easily seen in our Old Testament too, but our Lord is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our God. He is the banner in which we all should take 
our marching orders from. Like the song says, if he says go, we will go. If he says wait, we will wait. If he says, like he said to Peter, step out on the water. And others say it can't be done. We'll fix our eyes on you and we will come. We will come. We will do what you've told us to do, God. What banner are you marching under today? What banner are you following? Because all of us are marching under some flag. All of us are taking orders from someone. You say, I march to the beat of my own drum. You're a fool. You're a fool. For one, who goes to battle by themselves? Amen? Come on now. I mean, who's, who's, who's a foolish enough to think that I can fight a whole entire army all by myself? Nobody marches to their own beat of their own drum. If they do, then they're just simply foolish. But I'm glad today to be an American. I'm thankful to be an American, I should say. I'm glad that I was born in a country like America. And I was terribly upset on Thursday when I learned that 13 United States military were killed by a suicide bomber that I... Well, I won't get too political there. But I just believe that those 13 U.S. Marines gave their life for a country. They gave, they gave it for a purpose. God kept me out of the military. That's a whole other story. But it still disgusts me and it bothers me to see people stomping on an American flag and burning an American flag. Because I've got a little patriotism left in me and I think that's from God. You know Why? Because God is the one that set up boundaries in nations and countries, okay? We're not one unified people together. God set it up so there'd be boundaries and nations and countries. That's the way God intended it. And when man messes up those boundaries, they're going against God. And I was born an American, and that's what I'll always be. I can't ever change that, okay? And it bothers me to see somebody stomping on a flag and, because a flag means something. It doesn't just, it's not just red, white, and blue, but it means something. It means that there's some people that, uh, that died for that flag, that, that gave their blood for that flag. There were some troops in Vietnam and, 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 and in Korea and, and Germany and the Pacific Ocean that, that gave their lives for that flag so that we could have the freedoms that we possess today. Say, so I don't agree with all the wars. That, you don't got to agree with all the wars. I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm just telling you that a flag means something. But we live in a world today that nothing means, everything means nothing. Everything means nothing. All that matters is how many steps did I get on my, on my, on my, on my, on my watch today? How many calories did I intake yesterday? Uh, what's the latest trend that I missed on TikTok last night? I mean, that's what everybody, everybody's, every, everything means nothing. It means nothing. A flag doesn't mean anything today. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, a, it's just a flag. But it does mean something. It means people died. That's what it means. It means people died. It's so important that whenever, in earlier days, when they had the flag, that people would actually fall down or they'd be injured. And when they were injured, there would be somebody that would come along and pick up that flag and carry it on because it meant something. And it means something. Banners are important. The banners I ask you today are this, is what banner are you marching under? Say, I don't march to anybody. Listen to what Romans 14, 7 says. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. No man liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. 
If you think that you don't march underneath any banners, any flags, then secondly, you're wrong not only because you can't march against an army by yourself, but also because know you not to whom you yield yourself servant to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Listen, all of us are either marching to God's orders or sin's orders. And sin takes its orders from the devil. So we're, we're, we're marching underneath one of those two things. You and I are not in Afghanistans. We're not, we're not in some far-off country. Uh, we're not here under the marching orders of the flag of the, Americans, of, the, of the United States of America to fight another, another war. But even if you were, but if you were a Christian, you should be always taking your orders directly from God, from the Lord. That is where we get our marching orders from. We should be like Abraham whenever God says to him, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Christians should walk with God. Let me, just, let me, let me take out one of those words because I don't think that's strong enough. Christians walk with God. Christians walk with God. Christians don't listen to the world. They don't listen to the devil. They don't get caught up with the flesh. Christians listen and obey God. God speaks to us through his word. And Christians, we should be marching underneath the banner of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's where we should be going. That's the direction we should be moving. But I fear that some of us, and sometimes I'll put myself in the conclusion of us, is that to say that we raise up some other banners on the staff that doesn't need to be there. That don't need to be there. That need to be taken down. And there are some flags that do need to be burned. There are some flags that we raise up sometimes that are not right and not good. There's the flag of worldly philosophy. There's the false flags of worldly philosophy. Let me read you this verse. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. I know this message today is not a typical message. Usually I try to be more expository. I know this is more topical here in what we're doing this morning. But I hope you'll see there's a good purpose in what we're seeing here because, folks, I don't know about you, but I just am getting a sense that, uh, that we're living in a country that is not moving closer to God, but is rapidly, rapidly, rapidly moving far, far, far away from God. Has anybody else picked up on that? And we've got to take a stand. And we've got to figure out where we're going to stand at. And if you've got a rainbow flag in your house, you know what? You ought to get rid of that thing and burn it up. There's no reason for us to be having those. we're We're not aligning with that crowd because they're godless people. Do they need the Lord? Amen, they do. Do they need to be saved? Amen, they do. All right? But just because somebody needs to be saved doesn't need, I mean I've got to align with them. We don't align up with folks. Look at, uh, look at uh, in, your, in your Bibles, look at some kings that were godly kings, good kings. And they, like Jehoshaphat, who tried to line up with Ahab and see what he did. And God cursed him for it. And he almost died because he tried to line up. He tried to save this man. He said, I'm just trying to save. I'm trying to be a help. I'm trying to be a blessing. No, what you're doing is you're, is you're compromising and you're getting in with the, with the world and the, and the devil's crowd. And we don't need to do that, folks. We need to tell them the gospel. Tell them that, that God loves them. 
I mean, I go out door knocking and I see somebody's got a, 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 a placard in their, in their front yard about such and I go to this such and such church and on the other side of that, it's that, that, that placard that says, in this house we believe. Women's rights are their rights and love is love and, and all these kinds and science is real. You know what all that's saying? It says we don't believe in God. That's what that sign is saying. Science is real. You know what that's really meaning? Is that evolution is real and creation is not. Love is love. That means that you can love whoever you want to love. Is this all love? That's not what my Bible says. There's a difference, my friend, between love and lust. A big difference. And you don't have to be a homosexual to have lust. You can be married to your wife and have three kids, and, just, and you can be just as lustful and more lustful than any other person out there. So always judge yourself before you judge anybody else. But there's worldly philosophy. Everyone is doing it. Don't you hear that one? Everyone is doing it. Well, whenever four boys went down to uh, Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guess what? They didn't think everybody was doing it. Everybody wasn't doing it. Everybody wasn't bowing down. Everybody wasn't eating the king's meat. Everybody wasn't drinking, getting drunk and, eating the king, and drinking the king's wine. Everybody wasn't doing it, all right? There were four boys that said, we ain't going to do it. And they were boys. They were 16, 17-year-olds. And may I just include some of you who are here this morning that are teenagers this morning that you can take a stand for God and you need to fly a banner for God. You need to fly a banner in your public schools. You need to fly a banner in your, among your friends. You need to stand up and tell them, you know what, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that doesn't jive with me, all right? I don't know how you say it today, all right? I've been trying to, I've been trying to catch up on the, on the times and everything on, on some new words here, but I'm just not doing very good with it. But everybody's not doing it, all right? There's some people out there that are still living for God. You have enough children. The world's too wicked to have anymore. I won't touch on that long. I hit on that last week. But you got enough. I mean, it seems like you get two kids, and, some, and all of a sudden you get some wisecrack joke from somebody that tells you, you got enough kids already. Like, what kind of ridiculousness is that? I mean, all of a sudden you get that all the time. You know what I started telling people when I bring all five kids out to H-E-B? They say, man, you got a lot of kids. I say, ain't God good? I say, ain't God good? I said, these are God's special children. God gave me all of these. Aren't you? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you look at me like, what in the world? Thank God. A few drinks never hurt someone. Tell that to somebody that kills somebody with a family of four. A few drinks never hurt anybody. Oh, it, it just doesn't, it's not a big deal. I can look so long as I don't touch, preacher. No, you can't. You're committed adultery already the moment you looked. The moment you looked, you're fooling yourself. I can sleep with whoever I want to and when I want to. It's my body. Well, sure you can, but you know what? You can't choose the consequences either. You can't choose the consequences. You can't, you can't choose the fact that you might get a, an, an, S, an STI. You, might you can't choose the fact that you might get an unplanned pregnancy. You might not choose the fact that you might be pressured into getting an abortion. You can't choose the consequences, okay? I'm going through this trial, but God doesn't, and God doesn't care about me. That's a worldly philosophy. 
There is going to come this storm, and you mark my words, all right? And I'm not being a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I'll tell you this. There's, you, you see this storm that's coming up through Louisiana right now. There will be people around you that will question God and say, God is not a good God. If God is so good, why would he let a storm like that come up through there? You need to be prepared to answer that question. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's a worldly philosophy. Now, if you sang that second song, then you would immediately repent from that philosophy. My hope is in the Lord. Not me. Not me. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Here's an, and here's the final one. Whatever. 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 You know, I get that answer more today than I've ever gotten it. Whatever. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ and trust him as your Savior, then don't you realize that, you, that you'll spend a Christless eternity in a place called hell? Whatever. Whatever. That's what you believe? Whatever. Whatever. That's the postmodern answer for everything. It's whatever, 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 whatever. No, it's not whatever. God has set out for us biblical standards and, commi- and commands and principles in his word that are unchangeable. His judgments are sure, my friend, and his wrath is heavy. There are false flags that we need to tear down of worldly philosophy. False flags of money. It's going to get quiet in here because I'm going to touch a billfold. But the Bible says it very plain. He says, no man can serve two masters for either he hate the one or love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon. You know what mammon is? Money. The worldly things, the things of this world, I've got to have a little bit more money. Did you know that a rich man and a poor man can be equally covetous? You, it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. That's not the context of what he's saying right here, is that any of us think, well, I just, if I just had a little bit more, I need, I need money to live. Don't you think God knows that? I, do, I believe he does. But some people use that as an excuse to serve money. I need to make more money. I need to keep this job even though it's keeping me away from my family, from God, and from church. I need to keep this job. Well, it's going against everything that you believe. I know, but I need the money. You know what you've just done? You've put God, you've put money as your God. And not God over your money. What is, what is first? God or money? What is second? <laughs> I mean, some people put God up here, but they don't put money, then family underneath that. I mean, where is money at on the list? You cannot serve God and mammon, my friend. False flags. Tear down the dollar signs. God can provide, and God will provide for his own sin. Sin. Know you not, and I've already read the verse, but let me read it one more time. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Hey, a little sin never hurt anybody. Tell that to Achan. Remember, Achan stole just a couple of things from God, and he died and his whole family did. I can get away with this. Nobody will see me. Tell that to David and Bathsheba. No one will ever see this. Tell that to God. (laughs) Omnipresent. He's got eyes everywhere. 
I just get mad and cuss a little bit. And, you know, I, I just can't help myself. That's the way I'm wired. No, you're just acting out of the flesh and you're not responding in the spirit. That's what it is. Just admit it. Stop making excuses and start saying, you know what? I'm acting fleshly and ungodly and I need to start living more in the spirit of God and living what's right. Well, I just get, you know, she just irritates me every once in a while and I just kind of have to put her in her place. Really? What if God just puts you in your place every time, man? What if God just go ahead and just put you in your place? I tell you what, if God put us all in our place, we wouldn't have a place. We'd be out of place, out of joint. And sometimes God's got to do that. The Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It wouldn't hurt some of you husbands to start being a little bit nicer and sweeter to your wives. A little bit nicer and sweeter. How you win them is how you keep them. How'd you win them? By talking gruff to them, being all mad and angry at them, calling them up on the phone. Where are you at? I thought I told you to be here at 7, seven o'clock. Man, you didn't care if she got there at 8.30. It wouldn't have mattered to you. I mean, she was the prettiest little thing you've ever seen in your whole entire life, and you thought to yourself, you know what? I can't wait. I'll wait till all night. But you're getting ready to go out to eat on a little date, and if she's five minutes behind, I mean, you're already huffing and puffing. Hey, be a little sweet. Be a little kind. Be, show some grace. I'm living under grace. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live whatever, however I want to live. I can go to the bar or to the show or to the club or to the concert. I can drink and smoke whatever I want to. We're under grace, preacher. Don't you know? Hadn't you read the Bible? Haven't you got up with the times? It's my life. Let me ask you a question. If that's really how you feel, why do you keep coming to this church? Because we don't believe that. We don't believe that way. You can go find another church that will let you go and drink and, and, and club it up and have a good time, and they won't preach against any of that stuff, okay? They'll, they'll tell you that you can have prosperity. They'll preach about your wealth. They'll preach about your health. They'll preach about all kinds of things. They'll kind of teach you along and kind of coach you. They call that coaching and everything. Life coaches is what they're called now, not so much pastors anymore. And they'll just kind of coach you along, but let me remind you too, it'll be the same flag that, it'll be the same church that in June that will probably raise up a rainbow flag, okay? Are you okay with that, all right? It'll be the same church that will just say, you know what, we can just kind of all get along, we'll have a prayer meeting with Episcopals and Catholics and some Jews and some, you know, some Hindus, and we'll just kind of all just kind of get together and, uh, and, and get involved with those kinds of things. You know what, those are banners, my friend, that need to be stripped down, tore down, and said, no, I'm not going that way. Better yet, here, I've got a better option. Don't leave this church, but rather, why don't we all just learn to repent sometimes, Amen. And just actually say, I got it wrong. I was wrong. I shouldn't have been, been that way to my wife. I shouldn't have said those words. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have put that on the flagstaff. I shouldn't have done those kinds of things. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone, according to his ways, saith the Lord God, repent. And turn yourselves from all your transgressions, and so iniquity shall not be your ruin. 
hey, let's just say, you know what? I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to go up out. I'm going to go out, if you will, metaphorically to the flagpole, and I'm going to take down some flags, and I'm going to fly up that one flag that only matters, and that is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And by his blood alone, atonement, and his resurrection, I was saved. I'm born again. I'm going to heaven, and I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for the Lord. And we've got some true, there's a false flags, and I've told you there's some true flags. There's a true flag. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Let me just tell you here, Christians should not be ashamed to fly high the banner of truth. We shouldn't be ashamed. We should be glad. We should not be ashamed to march the beat of God's drums we should be glad to be resolved to be called soldiers in the Lord's army so that we could even sing that little kid's song and really mean it with all our hearts. I may never march in the infantry or ride in the cavalry. I may never shoot in the artillery. I may never even fly over the enemy. But that doesn't matter because I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. That's where I want to be at. Onward Christian soldiers. We just sang it. But there's a, there's a verse in there that caught my attention. It says, Hell's foundations quiver. Let me ask you a question. You answer this in your heart. Do hell's foundations quiver because of the church today? Let's bring it home. Do hell's foundations quiver over you? You say, what do you mean, preacher? What I mean is this, is that when you walk in a room, does the tone change a little bit? Does the language change? Does somebody look over at you and say, oh, I'm sorry, Joe. I shouldn't have said that. I, I, my bad. I, I, was, I wasn't thinking. I, I spoke. I shouldn't have. That, that's, uh. And you might think, think, you think to yourself, well, they shouldn't be sorry to me, and they should be sorry to God, and all those kinds of things. I understand that. But you know what? There ought to be a difference in us. There ought to be something different about you and about me. That people see it. That people notice it. That people, I'm not saying you're stern or you're mean or you're critical of people. But people know, just like it was with Joseph, that the Lord was with him. Are you showing off God to people? Are you raising the banner high? Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. In North Korea, in July 1950, the NKPA broke through enemy lines, came down into South Korean territory across the 38th parallel, took Seoul, took the whole country almost in record time. So they had a decision to make, America did, in this particular battle, and decided to draw in American troops. The closest people they could find were in Japan, it was an infantry division. They were brought out of there. And they assigned a little task force called Task Force Smith. Problem was this. Is that every single one of those guys that were stationed in Japan were yucking it up and just living it up. Japan was conquered. One guy said that I could get, and I won't say everything that he said, but he said I could get my cigarettes I watched my, my laundry done, a week's, a, week, a week's place to stay at, and somebody to stay with me. He 
I get my socks mended, all for 37 cents. And he said, I never even got any lip from anybody. The American soldier was living it up, yucking it up, while Truman was taking apart the United States military one by one. He reduced the military, I think, above almost, by, or almost, almost over half, and they had no forces to fight. And when he put the troops together in Task Force Smith, they came up there with almost 500 soldiers and only about 150 of them left. What happened? Soldiers got entangled with the affairs of this world. And they were not ready to fight. And because they were not ready to fight, they died. Horrible deaths. It's a tragic scene in United States history. But I wonder, I wonder... If we could look through the portals of heaven, how many scenes are happening like that in Christians' lives? We've entangled ourselves so much with the affairs of this world, and we can't fight. We have no fight in us. The soldiers, when they were on top of the hill before those thousands of North Korean troops came across the border, in front of them with 34 Sherman tanks, Killing them one by one before they came out there. They said, Truman called this a police action. We'll be out of here in three weeks. Years later, 55,000 soldiers dead. They finally got out. They still didn't complete the mission that some thought they should complete. What am I saying? I'm saying this is that we got a flag to fly, folks. We've got marching orders. They're from Jesus Christ. And I'm not to be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but I'm to take a stand against wrong, and I'm to stand up for what is right. I'm to stand up for what is right and for what is good. John the Baptist stood so hard and so, so much for right that he got his head chopped off. I'm not saying you're belligerent, mean, or cruel, or critical, but are you ashamed? Do you pull up the banner of God on Sunday, and you unfurl it out, and you say, I'm a Christian. But whenever Sunday night hits and Monday morning comes around, do you tuck the banner back into the suitcase and you don't get it about out again until Sunday, until the next Sunday? I believe God's called us to be Christians all the time, every day, every single day. Let me close with this. Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse number 4 says this. In Song of Solomon, there's a picture of Christ in the church. And the bride says of Solomon, the same thing that I believe the church can say of Christ. He brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Folks, can I remind you of something today? That all of us probably have misrepresented the Lord. That none of us, including myself, mostly, do not deserve to have his banner of love flying over me. I don't deserve to hold the flag of his name and represent him. I have misrepresented him. I know I've been, unha- I know I've been hateful and unkind with my words. I know, I've not u- I know I've used my members of my body to defile his temple. I know that I've not spoken the truth to the masses as I should. 
But I'm here to tell you today to let you know that though all those things might be true, is that there's still one, Jesus Christ, who has a banner that's flying high, and it's called love. Can I leave you with some hope today uh, that maybe you've flown some wrong banners, maybe you haven't flown high as you should have, the banner of Jesus Christ our Lord, but I'll tell you right now is that Jesus Christ hasn't taken down his banner. He hasn't pulled his banner down called love, the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He hasn't let that banner down. He hasn't pulled a retreat. He hasn't lifted up anything else. But he loves us. God loves us. And if you here today are not saved and you've never believed in Jesus Christ and you've never submitted yourself to the banner of Jesus Christ and his blood righteous atonement that he shed for us upon Calvary's hill, then my friend, I'll tell you right now, is that his banner of love is flying high today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And his banner of love flies high for you today that are not saved. And he would love nothing more than to accept you into his kingdom and for you to be his child, his son, his daughter, so that you may forever live with him. And Christian, 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 my friend, maybe ignorantly or on purpose, you have flown a banner that goes against God. Can I remind you also and equally that God's banner of love has not left you either? But in love, he says today to you and to me, repent, turn again, turn again, turn again. I will save. I will forgive. God is not a God like a king or a president or some dignitary that cannot forgive forgive treason against the royal crown. My God is a God of grace and love and mercy and would love nothing better than for just as that prodigal son ran back to his father for you to go back to him while he stands there with open arms and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I've flown some flags of worldly wisdom, of money, of sin, that I ought not have, God. Forgive me. I've been ashamed of your gospel, and I shouldn't be, God. Forgive me. Thank you for your love. Help me to fly the banner high. Of the Lord is our banner. Jehovah Nisi. Father, we're thankful for.